are in our September series called Under Construction. And uh, as I said last week, if you were here last week, you know, it's just kind of a happy coincidence that we happen to be under construction in the building as well. Uh, we're doing some renovations in the kids' department and in the atrium, and uh, you're going to be seeing more of that as we move forward over the coming weeks and, and months. And uh, we're actually really excited about it. Uh, we'll get into that a little more uh, as we move forward with this. But uh, that's not why we called, called this series Under Construction. Uh, it just happens to be a coincidence. Under Construction is about the building blocks of our faith. You know, Jesus said that anyone who hears the, his words and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who builds his house on the rock. He's talking about construction. He's talking about building our faith. And it is God's will for each and every one of us that we would continually be growing in our faith and building upon our faith. You know, one of the things I love about our church is the fact that we're so diverse. You know, we're diverse culturally, we're diverse generationally, racially, all, all in many different ways. And it's so exciting and it's something we celebrate all the time. But I'm also glad that we are diverse in our journeys of faith. You know, we have people in our church that have been serving Jesus for 60 plus years. And then we have those that are brand new in their faith. We, even, we have people that haven't even decided if they wanna be part of the Christian faith yet. And if that's you here, I'm glad you're here. We, we want you here because we want you to be able to hear the word of God. We believe that it will do in your heart what it's done in our hearts that changes us and transforms us. So uh, we, we cover the whole gamut of people in the faith. And the beauty of this series is that even though we're talking about building blocks, it's something that's for every one of us. Um, I've been serving Jesus for about 30 years, and these last two weeks of study have been very, very powerful in my own life. Just being in my office and studying the Word and putting these messages together uh, have been incredibly challenging for me and convicting and encouraging, and I believe it'll do the same for you. So with that being said, let's jump right in. Uh, I want to give you my text verse this morning out of 2 Timothy. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, as in honor of reading God's Word together. If you do not have your Bible with you, you can look on the, this gigantic screen behind me. It will be on there as well. Uh, 2 Timothy, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul's second letter to his protege, Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 13. It says, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That was the gospel. The good deposit is the gospel of Jesus Christ that's been given to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit as one of the building blocks of our faith. Uh, the title of my message is God in Us. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Father God, we love you today. We thank you for your word. It is your word and your word alone that transforms us. So God, I pray today that your word would go forth and that it would do the work that it's set out to do in our hearts. God, we want to be do our part and have... Uh, uh, good soil, fertile soil in our hearts that we can receive this and uh, that it can build in our life. We want to build our house on the rock. And we pray you would do that today as only you can do. And you receive all the glory. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, I know some of your antennas already went up a little bit higher as soon as I said Holy Spirit. In fact, I see, I see some of your eyebrows are a little higher on your forehead than they were a minute ago. Um, the Holy Spirit is something that can uh, cause us to uh, pay attention, maybe have even some concerns. You know, for many of us, I, I love what Pastor Robert Morris said years ago. He said, you know, the Holy Spirit is like, uh, or we look at him as like an uncle in our family, the, the crazy uncle that you have in your family, that, uh, you know, you love him and he's part of the family, but you would never introduce him to any of your friends because you're just not sure what he's going to do right? And we think of the Holy Spirit like that, and that's not who he is at all. In fact, 
The Bible is crystal clear. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Some of God's people are weird, but the Holy Spirit is not weird. He's actually amazing and wonderful and someone that we should all want to know more about in our life and, and have his effects in our life. This is a topic that's been debated and discussed much. Uh, it varies a lot. Your feelings on the Holy Spirit might vary based on your denominational upbringing, your church culture that you grew up in, or some teaching that you had, or, or uh, maybe just some preconceptions that you have in your life. Uh, I can tell you today I am not here to push any denominational ideology. Um, I, I think if we're going to teach something, it should probably come out of this book, and uh, that's what I'm committed to sticking to. It needs to be out of the Word of God, because sometimes we, we can tend to listen to and believe the person that's the loudest, but it really needs to be based on the Word. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what the Word says about the Holy Spirit, and it's very, very uh, beautiful and simple as well in our life. Um, we can easily say it's one of the most neglected aspects of the Christian life. We, like I said, so many people feel like he's the, the, that uncle, and so we don't want to talk about him. It's, it's, he's neglected very much. Uh, I would say between fasting, prayer, and the Holy Spirit, those are the three things vying for the most neglected thing in Christianity, right? Um, but talking about the Holy Spirit is definitely one of them. And a lot of that is because we don't really understand, possibly, or realize the importance of his function in our life. Um, I compare it to uh, the idea of, of your car. You know, everybody has a car, you know, and many of us, though, don't really understand how it works. We don't understand how the motor works with the transmission, and now they all have computers in them, and many of us don't know, and we really don't care, right? As long as you get in and you hit the button or you turn the key and it starts and takes you where you want to go, you're good, right? But that's also why when you go to a mechanic, if you go to a dishonest mechanic, he can take advantage of you. And he can say, hey, you know, you, mm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're going to need muffler bearings, and if you don't know, you don't know. Well, I guess I need them. You know, I don't want my muffler to not have bearings in it. So uh, you can be taken advantage of. And it's the same way in the faith. If you don't know that you know or know why you believe what you believe, you can easily be taken advantage of. You know, the Bible tells us there are, there are people out there that are wolves in sheep's clothing, which tells us that there are people out there with a PR in front of their name that are really wolves in sheep's clothing. You can't just trust every minister and what he says about a certain subject. You have to make sure that it lines up with God's word. I say it all the time here. When I say stuff, I encourage you, I beg you to look it up for yourself, study it for yourself to make sure that what I'm saying is actually the word and not just my own conceived, preconceived ideas because of who I am. We need to test everything and make sure it lines up with God's word. This is the only thing that's timeless around here. I'm, I've only been here 49 years. I'm going to be probably gone soon. We all are, right? So don't just take what I say. We need to make sure it lines up with God's word. So we want to, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, make sure that it lines up with the word of God. If I take you back to my title, my title is God in us. And you know, most of us, especially if you're a Christian, you know about the idea that God is with us, right? In fact, it's the theme of Christmas many times. The Bible says that you will have a child, you will call him Emmanuel because he will be God with us. And we love that. It's a beautiful thing. We understand that because it makes sense because God was in heaven. He sent his son down to the earth to be with us. And that was really great. And as much as I think that's beautiful and as much as there are times that I daydream about what it would be like if I could just talk to Jesus, if he could just stand here and we could just have a conversation, how amazing that would be. Jesus himself said that we're actually better off now than they were back then. Because, you know, when he came and he was with us, for one thing, it was only for 33 years. Only three years of that were actual ministry. And so he was with us, 
But now it's different because now he's actually in us. Jesus said it in John 16, verse seven. Look what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. It is better for you that I go away. Basically that I go back to heaven because when I go away, I will send the helper to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. It's a capital H there. If I do not go away, the helper will not come. So with the Holy Spirit now, instead of God being alongside us, he's inside us. Praise God. That's a beautiful thing, church, and I hope that all of you realize the importance of it and the beauty of it, that it's not just the disciples observing Jesus doing incredible miracles. Jesus himself said, hey, you're gonna do greater than I am because of my spirit in you. And so we have an incredible privilege. John, the, the, uh, the apostle John, he said that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He is in me and he is in you if you are a follower and a disciple of Jesus today. And that is something to be very, very happy about. So who is he? Who is this Holy Spirit we speak of? I'm gonna give you a few things. Like I said, there's so much in scripture, I can't possibly cover it all in one message, but uh, I wanna give you some of the highlights. First of all, he's the third person in the Trinity. The Bible is clear that God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working together in perfect unity. We serve one God in three, in three parts, right? In fact, the, the best depiction of this in the Bible is, is simply where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. If you know the story, he was on the earth, he came and he got baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. The Bible says when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Okay, so it actually looked like a dove descending on him, but it was the Holy Spirit. And then, on top of that, it says a voice came from heaven, and this was the Father saying, this is my Son, obviously it was the Father because he said it was my Son, in whom I love and am well pleased. So you have one spot there, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What an incredible moment for anyone that was there to witness that, I'm sure. So we know that he is part of the Trinity, he's the third person in the Trinity. And when we talk about who he is, what really gets me excited is that he is the guarantee for each and every one of us. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed and were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, and that is us, to the praise of his glory. So first of all, the very last part there, to the praise of his glory, that means that what he's doing here, that he's talking about here, is for his glory. And the good thing about when, when God says he's doing something for his glory, you know he's gonna do it, because that's who he is. He's going to make sure he is glorified. So that means he's telling us that he, if you hear it, and you believe it, and you get saved, in that moment you are marked with the seal, which is the Holy Spirit. You are sealed, you receive the Holy Spirit in that moment, and it is, the reason you receive it is because God is saying it is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance when I redeem my people. The beauty of that is that word uh, deposit there, the Greek word is a rabon, okay? And that word means down payment. So you, most of us know what a down payment is or when it's required, right? Let's say you wanna buy a house and you don't have enough money to pay for the whole house, so you go to the bank and you say, hey, I wanna buy this house. And the bank says, sure, we'd love to loan you the money, but you're gonna have to give us something so that we know you have some skin in the game. You're gonna have to give us a down payment, right? And so what you do is you get as much money as you can get at that time, and you give them a down payment, and by giving them a down payment, what you're telling them is, this is what I can give you now, but there's more to come, right? I'm giving you this, 
but it's, this isn't the end of it, because if it was, they wouldn't give you the house. I'll give you this now, there's more to come. They'll pay for the house, you can move in and pay them over time, right? So this is God saying that he's giving us a down payment. We're not giving God a down payment in this, he's giving us a down payment. He's giving us the Holy Spirit as a down payment that is guaranteeing our inheritance. This is God saying, listen, I'm giving you this now, but there's more to come. This is really cool, church. There's more to come. Like the, the salvation, living this Christian life, this is not the end. This life on earth is not the best it gets. In fact, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this life on earth is the worst it gets. Praise God. That means he's telling us here, I'm giving you this down payment. The Holy Spirit is gonna help you get through this time on the earth, but this is just the seal so that when you stand before me, I will know your mind because you will have that seal that I gave you back at the time when you got saved. So you're gonna be with him for eternity and it's gonna be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee for us. He is a down payment that God has given each and every one of us when we become followers of Jesus. So how does he function? How does the Holy Spirit function? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. I'm gonna give you just a few of the, the highlights because again, there's just too much to put in one message, but uh, I, I picked out a few that I thought were the most important uh, and the first one is, what I believe is the most important is that the way he functions is that he glorifies Jesus. That's his number one priority, is to glorify Jesus. Jesus said in John 16 that when the Spirit comes, he will not glorify himself, he's gonna steer people to me. And he's gonna, not gonna glorify himself, he's gonna glorify me. So his number one goal on the earth, in you and in me, is to glorify Jesus. Now that's actually a big deal, and it's, it's illuminating for us because if he is in us, and his goal is to glorify Jesus, that means our number one goal in life, if he is in us, is to glorify Jesus. Amen. You wanna know your purpose in life? You wanna know God's plan for your life? You wanna know his will for your life? It's very simple. His plan for your life is to glorify him first and foremost beyond anything else that you could ever do in this life. Amen. And I know for some of us, we'd say, well, that's, yeah, that, that's just that big pie in the sky. That's that vague glorify Jesus, sure, whatever. But I really wanna know what he wants me to do. He wants you to glorify Jesus. That's what he wants you to do. It makes the, the decisions about career and, and where we live and money decisions, it makes it a little less important. The details are a little less important because the reality is we can glorify Jesus no matter how much money we have. We can glorify Jesus no matter where we live. We can glorify Jesus no matter what our marital status is. We can glorify Jesus no matter what our job is. His goal for you is to glorify him first and foremost. And that makes, takes a lot of pressure off the decision making that we have. But that's what he does in us and that's how he leads us is to glorify Jesus. He also speaks to our hearts. You know that still small voice you have inside of you that you know God is leading you? That's the Holy Spirit in you. He is the one that speaks to our hearts. He's the one that leads us, helps us to make decisions in life, gives us wisdom in life to make the decisions, gives us discernment. He's also the one that comforts us. He speaks to us comfort. If you've been grieving or mourning the loss of a loved one or, or another different kind of loss in your life or some pain in your life, that feeling where it comes in and you just feel comforted by God, that's the Holy Spirit. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is literally the comforter. Man, praise God that he has one of the job descriptions of his spirit is to comfort us. That's a beautiful thing. But he also convicts. He's the convictor. <laughs> so when you're as somebody that loves Jesus and you're about to do something you know you shouldn't do and you feel that little voice in your head go, uh-uh, uh-uh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Sometimes it's your mom, but most of the time it's the Holy Spirit. Because that's what he does, he convicts us. When he convicts, he doesn't condemn. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, so he's not condemning, he convicts. Conviction is always designed to get us to turn away from whatever that is. 
to repent of it and go the other way. Condemnation is to just beat you up while you're there. Conviction is about saying oops and turning the other way and running. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. That's how he functions. But one of my favorite functions that he has is that he adopts us into the family of God. He adopts us into the family. It's, it's hard for us to remember this sometimes, but you know, before we were, before Jesus, you weren't, we weren't part of the family of God. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, you're actually not part of the family of God. Because the only way to become part of the family of God is to be adopted in because we were born outside of the family of God. But Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. In verse 15, it says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We have been adopted in and we get to call our heavenly father, dad now because of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what marks us. That's the seal that brings us into the family. Before this, we were staring at the window, looking into the, the house of God, wishing we could be part of it. And then when we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually ushers us into that place. And he is the spirit where, we're, where we can say, Father God. That's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. He also gives us wisdom. It's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. Tons in the Word of God about the wisdom of God that comes from the Holy Spirit in our life. 1 Corinthians 2 talks a lot about it. Um, God gives us wisdom in, in, in many, many areas in our life. One of the most important, in fact, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, it talks about this, that he gives us wisdom to understand his Word. Do you know you cannot understand the Word of God on your own? This is a spiritual book. That's not to mean you can't just read it and, you know, understand some of it in your mind, but to really have it become part of what you are and to transform you and to really be revealed in your life, it is required that it's the Spirit of God that does that in you. He's the only one that can do it. And I'm sure you probably experienced this because I've heard it plenty of times, but when you have people, intellects, that love to read the Bible to try to tear it apart, and you hear them talk about the Bible and the absurdity of it, and I can't believe you believe this, and, and it, it, it's humorous if it wasn't so tragic to hear people talk about how the Bible just doesn't make any sense, right? I remember not too long ago hearing a guy talk on the radio. He was an intellect and he was a public figure. And he said, man, I don't know how Christians can even be Christians and believe the Bible. Jesus was, was not a good man. He, he actually promoted self-mutilation. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, you should gouge it out. And I mean, I just kind of chuckled because I thought, I mean, he just doesn't get it, right? I mean, if you don't, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. But it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to even understand the word of God in our life, to, to illuminate it into our life. And we can thank him for that. And then he also fills us. He is the God that inhabits his people and fills us to overflowing. This is called the spirit-filled life, uh, or, or another term for it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is definitely where sometimes it gets a little, uh, people get a little weirded out about it because of different cult church cultures and different interpretations and different teachings and different uh, ways of believing in what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like. But can I tell you today, it's really not, it doesn't have to weird anybody out because baptism literally means to be submersed. You know, when you're baptized in water, you're just submerged in water. So if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it means you are submersed in the Holy Spirit. It means you are full of the Holy Spirit in your life. Who in their right mind as a Christian wouldn't want that? We all want to be filled with the Spirit. We should all want to be overflowing and baptized and submersed in the Holy Spirit because he is the hope that we have inside of us. He is the one that leads us 
in this life that we live as Christians. Yes. Ephesians 5.18. The Apostle Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is for everybody. It's for every single Christian out there. He's saying, be filled. Now listen, he's talking to Christians though. So the Bible is clear that this filling is important, but it's also a separate aspect of the Holy Spirit than when you got saved. Okay? When you get saved, you receive the Spirit. I read that verse that says that when you hear it and believe it, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. Every Christian that's ever been has received the Holy Spirit. But to be filled with the Spirit is a different thing. In fact, we see it in John chapter 20 when Jesus resurrects and the disciples see him and he spends some time with them before he goes back to heaven. And in John chapter 20, he actually, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their moment of receiving the Spirit of God. Well, then Jesus goes back to heaven and a few weeks later, there in Acts chapter two, in the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit actually filled them to overflowing, and then they go out and Peter preaches the gospel and you know what happens in, in the early church in Acts. And so receiving and being filled were two different things because you see it right there. In fact, in Acts 13, verse 52, it says, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they were continually having to be filled, which tells me that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing, right? Too oftentimes, depending on the, the church circle you grew up in, you can point back to a time where you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you don't have a lot of fruit moving forward from there to prove that it ever really occurred in your life, except for maybe a, a couple trivial things in your life that you would say, well, I, I know I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? And so it's not just this one-time thing. We're to be continually filled with the Spirit. In fact, you can see in Acts that Peter was filled with the Spirit twice in the first five chapters. It's not just a one-time thing. We belittle the filling of the Spirit when we, when we boil it down to an event that happened at an altar one day. And that doesn't mean that event wasn't a good thing. It doesn't mean that, that the initial filling of the Holy Spirit is not a wonderful thing in our life. But we can't just think, well, you know, that's what I was taught. You just get baptized in the Spirit and then you're good to go and you live the rest of your life. Just like we would never say, well, if you get saved at an altar, that you can just go live the rest of your life and everything's good to go. You have to live the life for Jesus. It's not just a one-time event in our life. Every day is the day that we live out our salvation. So, how does it look in us? Because I don't believe we can, we cannot survive as Christians today without the continual filling of the Spirit in our life. You cannot, I shouldn't say you can't survive, you can't thrive as a Christian today without the continual filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. So how does it look in us? What is the evidence of the Spirit filling us in our life? And I would say, first of all, that the spirit-filled life is one of surrender. That's what it looks like. If you want the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, it, there, the, one of the requirements, I believe with all my heart, is surrender. And you know, our tendency when it comes to, when we talk about surrendering to God in our life, the tendency for us is to say no. You know, not on Sunday morning, we'll say yes on Sunday morning. And I believe it's genuine and sincere, but Monday through Saturday, our tendency when it comes to surrendering our life to Jesus is to say no. We would say, you know, I want to be a Christian. I want to love Jesus. But man, can I just have some things for myself? Does he have to be part of every part of my life? Yes, actually, he does. 
And we know this is the case. We know this is a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. There's times that I, I would love to just let part of my life just be about myself because that's just who we are. We're selfish. It has the word self in it. That's how we're wired. That's our DNA. That's our sin nature before we are renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit in our life. It's very, very important that we understand this, church. And the reason we know that, that being surrendered is a tough thing and, and that we're not always filled with the Spirit, we don't always have the, we're not being filled overflowing with the Spirit of God in our life is because some of the evidences we just don't see. Like, how many of us go days, weeks, maybe months without talking about Jesus outside of a Sunday morning? or talking to people about our faith, or even just saying the name Jesus. You can't be submersed in the Holy Spirit and not talk about Jesus, and not talk about your faith outside of a church service. You can't do it. For instance, our middle child, Kenzie, she's at college up in Tennessee right now. Just got up there, she's been there about four weeks. Okay, it's our first experience with a child going away to college. And she's living on campus, She's fully into the college scene, right? She's, she's getting tons of homework and has all that stuff going on. And we talk to her almost every day. Probably, between me and Joy, we probably talk to her every day. And when we talk to her, because she's at college and she's, everything in her life is about the dorm and about her, her new friends she's making, about her professors, about her homework, about the, the campus, all those things. When we call her and talk to her on the phone, guess what we talk about? College. Every single time. There's no chance that we're gonna to talk to her and college not come up because she is fully submersed in college. So it comes up. So to say I'm fully submersed, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm living the Spirit-filled life. If you are not sharing anything about Jesus with anybody outside of a conversation on a, maybe a Sunday morning, I can tell you unequivocally you are not filled with the Spirit. You cannot be submersed in something and not talk about it. We get submersed in college football in September. I'm hearing conversations every five minutes about UGA, <laughs> and it's okay. But we get whatever we're submersed in is what we're going to talk about. If you're submersed in your career and making money and growing your finances, you're going to talk to people about it. Whatever you're submersed in, you're going to talk about. So that's a way that you can know. That's an evidence of the filling of the Spirit in your life. If you're not talking about your faith, and, and listen, church, don't buy the lie that well, nobody wants to hear about my faith. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I don't want to hear about the Georgia Bulldogs, but you keep talking to me about them too. Now, if you want to talk about Ohio State, we can do it all day. But <laughs> it, it's not about whether or not people want to hear it. It's about I can't help it. It just flows out of me. You're not trying to beat people over the head. I'm not even talking about talking with other Christians about your faith. Like, what's God done in your life? If it weirds you out, if someone asks you what God has done in your life lately, you're probably not filled with the Spirit because that should be just natural. I'd love to talk to you about what God's doing in my life. Man, that's exciting. And that's what it looks like when we are filled with the Spirit. And what's happening is that we have made a non-negotiable surrender. We've made it negotiable. Where we have said, taken something that the Bible's clear is non-negotiable. Jesus says, you will deny yourself if you're going to follow me. If you don't, you're not worthy of me. That's not, that's not just banter. That's from Jesus' mouth. If you don't deny yourself, you're not worthy of me. So to surrender is non-negotiable. We've made it negotiable, and it's one of the reasons we're seeing people leave the church in droves all over the country. 
It's one of the reasons because, and whether or not they were taught that they had to surrender or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is people aren't willing to do it. So what's happening is people are serving God half-heartedly, which is really serving God not at all because it goes contrary to the word of God. We're to give them our whole heart, our whole life, but people serve them half-heartedly and what ends up happening is you end up, you're not really transformed, so you just live by the moral code, which we talked about last week, that, well, I know what a Christian's supposed to look like, so this is how we're gonna live, and you end up getting frustrated because there's no change in your life, there's no transformation, there's no renewal, you still feel like you've always felt, so eventually you just quit. And that's what's happening. People are leaving the faith because they've never really surrendered their life to Jesus. Because that's when you, when you really surrender your life to him is when you really experience him. And when you really experience Jesus, it's really hard to walk away from that because he's pretty awesome. It's the ones that don't experience him that walk away, but we don't experience him, we don't get filled up with him because we're not surrendered to him. And let me tell you, as a, as a pastor, that's even a tough message to give because we want people to feel good about themselves and feel good in their faith, right? Especially like, you know, in church work, it's like you don't want to upset people and tell them, hey, you're not filled with the Spirit if you don't, if you don't live a surrendered life because I don't want to upset people because then you leave and, and you really what you do is you end up being content and condoning people that just barely have a spiritual pulse. Well, I'm, I'm just committed to not doing that. I'm committed to, to sharing the truth. I don't want to stand before God one day and God say, man, I gave you a nice stage and a nice church and a bunch of people coming on Sundays and you never told them the truth. I'm not gonna have to answer for that. I'd, I'd rather uh, upset us a little bit if I had to. But I believe that the heart of, of us, the, the Christian heart, really wants to hear the truth. We really want to be challenged to go to another level in our faith. We really do. And that's the goal here, is that we would build on our faith because we are all under construction, amen? You see, we are the temple of God now. We are the actual temple of God. First Corinthians 6, 19. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So you've received the Holy Spirit. Everyone who believes receives. And you are not your own. You were bought for a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So basically he's saying your life isn't your own anymore. Not just your body. Your whole life is not your own. You were bought with a price and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this might not mean a whole lot if you don't understand the context of the temple. The temple was the building that was built back in old Israel. First it started with a tabernacle and then eventually they built a permanent temple. King Solomon built a temple for God and that was where that presence of God was literally housed. He, his presence, manifest presence was in this temple. Now God's omnipresent, he's everywhere, but this was a, where he was the actual manifest presence. There was a, a, a department of the temple, it was called the Holy of Holies, and only person could go in there was the priest, and he could go only go in at very specific times, right? The presence of God was confined to this temple, and that was where they exalted this temple. They thought it was so great. They'd go there to make their sacrifices, and all kinds of aspects of their, their life was lived around this temple, okay? And now Paul is saying that temple is no more needed. We don't need a temple built by human hands anymore because now the presence of God is not going into the Holy of Holies. It's actually going into you. So now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God. You need to take care of yourself because that is where God resides. The presence is no longer in a temple built by man. It's in you and it's in me. And that's beautiful. But Paul says here that because of that, your body's not your own anymore. You have to honor God with your body. And he's not talking just about your body. He's talking about your life. You have to surrender your life. If you're going to harbor the presence of God, you have to surrender your life. It is a non-negotiable in our life. 
You see, the Holy Spirit gives us that kind of perspective. He's the only one that can give us that perspective in our life. I, talk, I know I've talked about it a few times in the last couple years, but the, the passage in Acts 5 where the, the apostles were preaching Jesus and people were getting saved and healed and it was a crazy time in Jerusalem and the religious leaders hated him for it and so they brought him into the, their court and they said, stop talking about Jesus. And these guys, because they were full of the Holy Spirit, said, we can't. And so these, the leaders flogged them before they let them leave to, to scare them into not talking about Jesus anymore. They were, they were given a flogging, which was a, a horrific beating. Many people died from a flogging. It was not just a, a couple smacks on the, on the backside. It was a horrible beating that they experienced. And then in chapter 5, verse 41, look at this verse. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, did you catch that? The point of this verse. It doesn't say they rejoiced in suffering. It said they rejoiced because they were worthy of suffering. Who made them worthy of suffering? Like, how are they considered worthy of suffering? They were considered worthy of suffering by the religious leaders, right? They were the ones that determined these guys deserve this suffering because they could tell that they were full of the Spirit, because they could tell that these people were living for Jesus, that they, were, they, they associated them with Jesus, and because the leaders hated Jesus, they said, well, they deserve a whooping because they were with Jesus, and they're, they're continuing to do the, the work of the ministry of Jesus. They're, being, they're working in the power of the Holy Spirit. So because of that, they were determined to be worthy, and the apostles said, they can tell that Jesus is in us. We are worthy. That was what got them excited. They weren't excited that they got a, a flogging. They were excited because, hey, others can see it in us. How cool is that? The question is, can others see him in you? Can he see him in you? How, how, when's the last time we've suffered for being, for being considered to be partners with Jesus? The biggest suffering we might have is to give some money somewhere. Are we considered worthy? Can people see Jesus in us in such a way that if they, were, if they hated Jesus, they would associate us with Jesus and treat us the same way they treated him? We need that perspective, church, and the only person that can give us that is the Holy Spirit. And he, because he's the one that gives it to us, and he's, he's also gonna test us when it comes down to it. He is the guy that tests us. I wish I could stand up here and tell you, if you'll surrender your life to Jesus, he's gonna make it great. You're never gonna stub your spiritual toe. You're gonna have a wonderful life. Everything's gonna be perfect. I can't tell you that because the word of God doesn't tell us that. In fact, it tells us that God is the one that tests us. He tests our heart to, to test the genuineness of our faith is what Peter says. In Psalm 11:5. it says the Lord tests the righteous. Uh, in Proverbs 17:3, it says the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And I can tell you the Lord tests your heart by your circumstances. So the Lord tests us in our circumstances. Jesus was tempted, Luke 4, 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. When you are full of the Spirit, sometimes he will lead you in the desert. That's not a, that's not a happy, feel-good message, I guess, but it's the truth. Now, when Jesus leads us in the desert, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't do it to mess with us, to torment us. He does it because he wants to bring glory to himself. Because remember, the number one goal of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit leads us into the desert, it is to bring glory to Jesus. And however that looks, is up to him. But he wants to bring glory to Jesus. So it's all about surrender. That's where it starts. And so 
if we do surrender, and this is where it gets good, the spirit-filled life is one of power. It is one of power. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this is where we can get off track sometimes. This is where it can get, depending on your denomination, we can split as to what the power of God actually looks like, right? We can, we can think that it has to look like what it looked like in Acts chapter two, where the tongues of fire fell and they were speaking in tongues and Peter goes out and preaches and 3,000 people get saved and they walk up to a guy at a gate and say, money and gold, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give you and he pulls and lifts him up. The guy was crippled, he gets his total healing in that moment, people were getting healed, delivered, set free and that's the power of God, that's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us and any other way is not what the way. That's the only way it looks. Now listen, that is part of it. That's in the Bible, it's beautiful. We should all want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We should all want to see the power of God manifested in us and through us, that we would believe for healings, we would believe for miracles, that we would believe prophecy, and we would want to speak in tongues, and we would want to do these things. That's all wonderful, but that's only part of it. And we can't conjure all that stuff up anyway. I can't force God to heal somebody. I can just be obedient. I think we need to be expectant and, and ask God to do what he's going to do, but it's got to be him. And I am only for the authentic move of God in our lives. Nothing manufactured, nothing manipulated, the authentic move of God. I, I tell God all the time, you have free reign to do whatever you wanna do in me and through me, but it's gonna be you if it's gonna be done. And I believe he honors that, and I believe that's what he wants our heart to be. But what if it's not just those things? What if the power of God also looks like forgiving an abusive father? or an unfaithful spouse? What if that takes the power of God in our life? Don't you think someone that's full of the Holy Spirit would be able to forgive in a more complete way than someone that doesn't have the Holy Spirit? What if it looks like controlling your hot temper, not blowing up every time you feel like it, or being generous to the poor when you don't have much money, or being gracious to a, a coworker that's really, really annoying? What if it's things like that too? What if it's being really nice and kind to somebody who hates you? Or not arguing with people that disagree with you, like atheists or people of other religions. Not being mean-spirited. Maybe that's the power of God working in us too. Sure seems like it would be. I can tell you, if you think the Holy Spirit is just here to help you judge everyone and argue better, you've missed it. But yet I do think there are people that would say they are filled with the Spirit that talk in tongues all the time that are some of the meanest people I've ever met. How can that possibly be? Maybe they've missed it, right? Maybe we're missing some of it. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't always look like we think he's going to look. Maybe it's not about us just getting to soak in our Holy Spirit hot tub and enjoy the wonders of the Holy Spirit ministering to us. Maybe it's more than that. I'm being a little bit facetious here because I believe wholeheartedly it's a lot more than that. I believe that is a part of it, but we miss so much of it because we don't go to the word of God or we just, we like our own leans and so that's the way we're gonna go. It's got to line up with the word of God, church. It's got to line up with his word. The evidence of the Holy Spirit is, 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 can, is in our life is going to look many, many different ways. And one way that we don't often talk about or think about sometimes is the fact that there's going to be fruit in our life if we are filled with the spirit, right? There's gonna be fruit. That's part of the power of the Spirit in us. 
right? A tree is recognized by its fruit. Jesus said it. It's very true. We know it today. If I see a peach tree, the way I'm going to know it's a peach tree is if it has peaches. And a peach tree that isn't producing peaches, I'm not going to listen to that peach tree trying to tell me about peaches because something's wrong with it, right? The power in the tree is to produce peaches. Nobody cares about anything else in the tree except for the fruit. That's the power of the tree. And it's the same thing in the spirit. The, the, the evidence that the power of the Holy Spirit is in us is the fruit that will result from the power of that spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? I won't make it up. I'll read it straight out of the word of God. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We have songs about that. That's how I remember how, what order they're in. <laughs> it's from the songs. Maybe it looks like loving the unlovable. Maybe it looks like having peace when there's no reason you should be at peace. Maybe it's, it looks like being able to respond with kindness to aggression, right? The fruit of the spirit in our life. And can I tell you when the world starts seeing this fruit in the people of God, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. The re don't kid yourself. The reason people are running from the church is because of the church. We're all guilty of it. The reason they're running is because of the church. And when we, they start seeing the fruit of the spirit and they start seeing that people are actually being transformed by the power of God in their life and they're seeing the fruit, I promise you they're going to run to the churches wanting to know how can I get into this family of God like you guys are because I need to be transformed too. That's where we're gonna see a major shift, even in our culture, is when people start seeing people transformed. If you try to sell me a peach tree that has no peaches, I'll look at you like you're crazy. How can we sell people a God when, he's, when they're not seeing any fruit from that God in our life? There's got to be fruit there. And there's got to be fruit that the, that the world can see and understand that, yes, that's different. I want what that person has. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, Peter, when he was hanging out with Jesus, when Jesus was doing his ministry, Peter knew how to behave around Jesus. You know, and he enjoyed Jesus. He actually loved Jesus. And this is us in a lot of ways. He loved Jesus. He loved being with him. He loved the, the stuff Jesus was doing. He loved seeing the miracles, the demons cast out, all these great things, right? But when Jesus gets arrested, what's Peter doing? He's hanging back. He's not going to be associated with him. He's hanging out off to the side, warming his hands at a fire and kind of side-eyeing to see what's going on with him, right? And this girl confronts him and he ends up cussing her out and cussing himself out and saying, I don't know the man. And you know, you know the story. And then not long later, he stands up in front of thousands of people and preaches the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. And he goes on to be very powerful in ministry for the kingdom of God. What changed? One thing. He was filled with the Spirit. That's it. When you're filled with the Spirit, it will transform your life. If you want to know if you're filled with the Spirit, if you, have not received, if you haven't seen any transformation in your life, chances are you're not filled because he, he transforms us. Titus tells us that he renews us, that we are regenerated by this Holy Spirit, that, that he takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, that he breathes life into us, 
Joy was telling me between services, she heard an, uh, an analogy, I think it was Spurgeon that gave it, that said the difference between just receiving the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit is like when Lazarus was raised from the dead, when Jesus called him out, he was raised from the dead. That was the salvation. That was the receiving the Spirit, but he still had his grave clothes on. They had to take his grave clothes off him and put, in, put some nice blue jeans and a t-shirt on him, right? That was being filled with the Spirit. Salvation is death to life. The filling of the Spirit is throwing the old man off and being brand new and being transformed for the glory of God. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please, as we close today? I want to read one more verse to you, Acts 4.13. This is in the early church. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Yes. Does anyone in your life take note that you have been with Jesus? Can they notice that you have been with Jesus? Or do you just have the moral high ground? The moral high ground is not enough, church. It's not what it's about. It's about them seeing that fruit in your life. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit, none of that stuff is really moral stuff, necessarily. But it's about a transformed heart. It's about, it's about a completely different persona in us that only comes through the Holy Spirit. I wanna pray for you this morning, and I wanna invite you to the altar. In fact, if you wanna come up for prayer, we're gonna actually have prayer leaders on the ends over here. If you want specific prayer, they'll be happy to pray with you when we're done here. But I wanna invite you to the altar today for, any, for all of us that wanna just surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. If you just wanna be, you just wanna say, I'm declaring today, I'm surrendering my life, I wanna be filled with the Spirit, Church, I pray for God to fill me with the Spirit every day. If you wanna be filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to come up today and let's pray together. Let me pray over you. Let's pray and believe for God to do a powerful work in our lives. We have got to get fed up and tired of not having the power of God in our life. You've gotta be tired of it. I can't make you want it. I can't conjure it up in you. It has to be where you come to a place of desperation and say, I am not gonna do this anymore, or I'm gonna live this anemic, Christian life where I barely have a spiritual pulse. I want anybody that checks my spiritual pulse to say, oh yeah, he's alive. He's alive and well. But it's only because of the Holy Spirit in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church, just begin to pray. You pray on your own too. Just pray. Ask God to, to minister to you, in you, through you. Praise God. Lord Jesus, we pray today. We come to you this, this afternoon, Lord. We thank you for your word because we know your word is truth, your word is life, your word is what transforms us, your word is what takes off our grave clothes. God, we praise you for that today. We know that it is by your name and your name alone. Your name is the name above all names. God, and we, we repent today where we, have, where we have fallen short, where we have not wanted to use your name, where we have not been submerged in you, we haven't wanted to talk about you, where we wanted to do our own thing, we haven't wanted to surrender our life, we don't wanna deny ourselves. It's not in our nature to do it, but God, we don't wanna live by our nature. We want a new nature. We want a renewal in our life. We wanna be regenerated by your word and by your spirit in our life. So God, would you do that work in our hearts? God, I pray today for everybody at this altar that you would fill them with your spirit, God. Fill them to overflowing today with your spirit. God, that it would be flowing in us, through us, and out of us, God. That it would transform us, but it would also affect the people in our lives. Lord, we want people to be able to see that we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And Lord, where we are weak, would you be strong, God? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
God, thank you that you did everything that needed to be done for us to live a life with you. Thank you that we are the temple of your spirit now, that your presence resides in us. God, you're so amazing. We don't deserve it. We sure couldn't earn it. Yet you still choose to love us. What an unbelievable promise. Thank you for sealing us with your spirit. Thank you for your down payment in our life. God, we receive that down payment, Lord. But would you fill us again today? We don't want to look back on our history. We don't want to have to look back 20 years, 10 years, five years to say, yeah, that's when I was filled with the Spirit. We want to be able to say, I'm filled with the Spirit today. God has filled me. I know it. I am surrendered to him. My life is his. It is not my own anymore. I'm trusting him. Let that be our story, God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise your holy and precious name, Jesus. If you're here today or you're listening online and you don't know this, Jesus, I, I said it earlier and I meant it, and I don't mean it to hurt feelings, I mean it because I want you to understand that if you are not a disciple of Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, you are not part of that family of God, you have not been sealed with the Holy Spirit, but it's so, it, it is accessible to every single one of us. The Bible says if we hear it and we believe it, that we are marked with the Holy Spirit. Salvation is as simple as understanding that you need a savior, that the weight of sin is crushing your heart because that's what it does, it crushes us. But knowing that Jesus is the one that forgives us, he did everything that needed to be done for the forgiveness for your sins that you did commit, that you are committing, and that you will commit. But you have to give your life to him. And if you don't know how to do that, I would encourage you to come up, let somebody pray for you today. But don't leave this place today without making that decision. Because that down payment is only good for those that give their lives to Jesus. So I encourage you to do that today. Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every person under the sound of my voice that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. God, give them the courage and the strength to be able to make that decision today. To live for you. To repent of their sins. To trust you for their salvation. And to live their life for you the rest of their days. We thank you for it today, Lord. We love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Can we praise God one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.